Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we're covering the armor of God. We started last week, and uh, this week will still be kind of preliminary. Starting the next time, which will be after our revival, we'll be getting into the individual pieces of the armor of God uh, that we will be studying. Now, we're going to begin reading again at verse 10, and we'll read through verse 18. The scripture says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray, Heavenly Father, you'd help us to understand the seriousness of this subject that we are dealing with. We are in a battle. There's a lot going on, and the devil means business. And you have provided for us what we need In this battle, I pray, dear God, that we would understand that we can't take this lightly. It is not a buffet. It is the full armor of God that we are to take. So, Lord, I pray you'd teach us tonight. Help us to be strong, to stand by your word. And, Lord, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm convinced that for all the real problems that we have in our lives, that the Bible has the answer for us. If we would follow the teachings of the Word of God and stand upon the Word of God, then we would find that instead of living so often in defeat, that we would be walking the victorious Christian walk, glorifying the Lord. What he gives us here in this passage are things that we need. Throughout the book, and here also in the book of Ephesians, we find doctrines to teach and to ground us both. They're both important. We also have warnings to alert us and to prepare us. We have rebukes in the scripture, of course, to correct us. We have promises that sustain us, and they do if you trust the promises of God, and encouragements to comfort us. Now, the book of Ephesians begins by telling us to believe right about our security, about our purpose, about our protection, and about our salvation. You've got to have those very basics down. It is vital. In many of the Apostle Paul's epistles that he wrote, the first few chapters deal with believing right. And then he deals with doing right. Now, normally, that's the case in each of the books. There may be some exceptions, some things that are a little different from book to book, but that's basically how they cover. And then he instructs at the end of each book, He gives us a chapter or two dealing with living right. He's already done that. You go back to chapter 5. Actually, beginning in chapter 4, he spends some time on that. Uh, When we get to the middle of chapter 6, 
he wraps it all up by telling us we're to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might and that he has provided some armor for us. It's for everybody. It's not just for the pastor. It's not just for the deacons, not just for the Sunday school teachers. This is for every born-again believer. These are things that are there for our life. Uh, the problems that we covered last week, the wiles of the devil to deceive us, the battle to defeat us, the evil day to defile us, he makes those very plain. We are facing those things. The battle is very real. It's not against flesh and blood. This isn't like Israel versus Hamas because who we fight against, he names here. He says, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. These are spiritual battles. These are not things that are done out on some regular physical battlefield where we take guns and knives and uh, those type of things. This is a spiritual battle. And it's got to be fought with the spiritual emphasis that God puts upon it. In identifying these problems, he gives us some commands here. In the passages that we read last week, there are commands within these statements that are there to prepare us. The first command is found in verse 10. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, that word strong has the idea of putting forth energy. Be strong. You don't sit back and just allow things to happen to you. Remember, the, um, Peter was warned on the night before the crucifixion. Jesus told him, Satan has desired to have you, but I have prayed for you. And he tells Peter to pray. Unfortunately, when Peter goes to the garden with Jesus, he only prays an hour and he falls asleep. When Jesus come back, comes back, he's sound asleep. You wonder, why would Peter end up denying the Lord? He ended up denying the Lord because he didn't start with the right armor. Jesus had even warned him, and he didn't get it. And a lot of Christians are defeated because they, they don't have on the right armor. They're trying to fight all the battles with all the physical things that are out there in the world instead of where it needs to be fought in the spiritual battlefield. This is a matter of choice. Now, I look at the admonitions that were given to Joshua, and I think there are some good lessons here. Right? Take in mind, keep in mind again, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Now, keep your hand here. Turn back to Joshua chapter 1. In Joshua chapter 1, Moses is now dead. God has chosen Joshua to be the next leader for Israel. And he has the responsibility of leading them into the land that God had promised many, many centuries before. And so you get to chapter 1, God has a few things to say to Joshua to prepare him. And notice the emphasis, if you're not careful, you'll miss it. For he says in verse 5, uh, there, shall not, uh, there shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Now that's God's promise. When it comes to men, there's no man, there's nobody that's in the land, a king, Chedorlaomer, or anybody else. There's none of the kings of the different parts of the promised land that are going to be able to stand against you. God says he's going to do the fighting. So what does he say? Be strong and have a good courage. 
But now he gets down to the thing that really matters. God's already taken care of the matter of victory. All the armies put together, if they did get all together to fight him, they couldn't win. God had promised them the land. So he says, only be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do uh, according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Interesting. He's not telling him how to fight here. He's telling him how to maintain the victory that God's going to give him. How? Obey God's word. You're the leader, Joshua. Obey the word that I gave to Moses. Where did Moses mess up? All of his battles that he had to fight. I'm talking about the battles that created the greatest problems for him were God's people not following the word that God had given him. And then when God told Moses that he was to speak to the rock that second time, and he goes and in pride he hits the rock, he doesn't follow God's word. God's word is the key to victory in every one of our lives. Joshua, I want you to get this. You don't, you don't have to fear those Canaanites, the people of Jericho. You don't have to fear the Jebusites there in Jerusalem. You don't have to, you have to fear the Ammonites. You don't have to fear them. That's not a problem. You be strong to do all my word. Now, I've been pastoring for over 48 years. And over 48 years, the biggest challenge that I have is trying to get people to want to obey God's word. The desire to compromise comes up every year. And they don't want you to usually compromise the really big things or really bad things. They're not after us to say okay to alcohol. But if we gave in to some other things, it wouldn't be long. They'd be saying, preacher, don't preach against alcohol. Man, you got to hold the line. You got to stick with it. This isn't the time to turn. Unfortunately, with every group, with every group, people end up coming along and they're not going to follow God's word. They'd like to remain what they are if what we are would just change. But you don't realize the more you change, the more you're not what you were. I mean, this really is not that difficult and should not be that difficult to understand. It's like the man who wrote, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. In one of the last verses, he says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. When Paul is giving instruction to Timothy, a pastor, he says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Why is that necessary? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Timothy, those people you're pastoring right now, those people that are saying amen to everything you get up and preach, the time is coming when they won't endure it. The time is coming when they'll turn themselves after teachers having itching ears. Now, I believe in that case, it's not the teachers who have the itching ears. It's the people who have itching ears. They want to hear some new thing. They're tired of the same old, same old. But I'll remind you that in the Old Testament, God continually reminded God's people that they were to return to the old paths. We don't find God calling them to new paths. 
but to the old past, still all of God's word. So Joshua, you be strong and of, of a good courage to obey all that I told Moses. As a matter of fact, he gets to verse 8. He says, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Your success, Joshua, is based on your obedience to the Lord. Your success is based on the people's obedience to the Lord. You remember, they had their first victory. They took a walled city, Jericho. But the next city they were defeated at. Why? Not because the people of Ai were stronger than the people of Jericho. But because Achan went in and took the very thing that God told them that they could not have. They disobeyed God. He disobeyed God. So their next battle, 36 Israelites die. And when God calls Achan out in front of everybody, then he has the whole congregation stone him to death. Their defeated Ai came because they did not obey the Lord. But he's not done. He says, have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. So he's telling him, hey, be strong. In what? In the word of God. One of the things you're going to find when we start going through the individual pieces of the armor of God is every one of those pieces are related to the Word of God. Every one of those pieces are related to the Word of God. You see, you need to settle some things. See, there a, quite a while back when I settled Psalm 119, 128, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. God's right about anything He says anything about, and I got news for you. God is not changing his mind. He is not impressed when a whole generation turns after, turns after rock music. He's not impressed at all. That doesn't scare him. He's not so much into numbers. He wants everybody to be saved, yes. But he's not compromising truth. He's not going to give in to the alcohol crowd. He's not going to give in to the fornication crowd and the adultery crowd. He's already spoken on all that. And he says, for I am the Lord, I change not. Need to settle some things. Now, we're living in a day where, believe me, when it comes to fundamentalist persecution is coming. Now, you can be part of that compromising crowd, but I got news for you. They'll pity you at first, but they'll always blame you because at one time you were one. It's better to just keep standing for righteousness. Be strong, he says, in the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Be like men. You know, we're not raising up our boys to be men anymore. We got, we got them so wrapped up on, in computer games and, and think somehow... There's nothing manly about that. I'm not saying you can't play a computer game. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But we need to train our boys to be men. They need to learn to be tough. We shouldn't, and that should be done in the home where boys should be learned to be strong. There's a lot of things that they need to learn. And that may not be your particular cup of tea, all of it, 
But surely if you're a man, some of it is. Men, teach your boys to be men. Take them out fishing. Take them out hunting. Now, I got blessed. I only had girls. I didn't care for fishing and hunting. But if I'd have had boys, I'd have had them out fishing. Maybe not a lot, but I'd have had them out fishing. <laughs> they would have known how to put a worm on a hook. They would have known how to cut the head off a fish and then how to fillet it. How to cut it down the middle, get those fish guts out, you know, all over the place. I, I would have scales all over everything. I'm just simply saying they need to learn to be men. I mean, when you read a verse like this, quit you like men, be strong. Today's males don't have a clue what that even means. What it means to be strong. And we're not talking about going to the gym and building some muscles, although there's nothing wrong with them getting some muscles. They need to have some muscles, but they need to learn to be men instead of a bunch of sissies who walk like sissies. Boy, don't get me started on that. I mean, got to the first point under this point, be strong. He says, be strong in the Lord because the Lord is the source of all strength. If you're going to be strong in the Lord, then obviously you've got to be saved first. You can't be strong in the Lord if you're not in the Lord. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In the Lord. To be strong in the Lord. We have some warnings in the scripture. Jesus said in John 15, 5, without me, ye can do nothing. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. We can stand in the evil day. Our true strength begins and ends with God. Our true strength. Our true strength not only begins and ends with him, but it's in every area. In dealing with the wiles of the devil, in dealing with the battles for the day, in dealing with the evil day, he is our strength. You're not strong enough. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. We can go to the battle not because we're fearless, but because we know God's got it all under control, and whatever it will be, will be, but I want to be found faithful in the battle. I look at the Apostle Paul, what a man. He was willing to go to jail for Jesus several times. Willing to be beaten for Jesus several times. We honor veterans in our country. Thank God for the men and women who have served and for those who have gone out into battle and they've risked their lives and all of that. But let me tell you something. There is a higher calling than that and that is being for the Lord. Because for the Lord, you're not taking the the, uh, the physical weapons with you. It's the spiritual weapons and the spiritual armor that you're clothed in. Not only in the Lord, but in the power of his might. Genesis 18, 14, the scripture says, is anything too hard for the Lord? When the angel told Mary that the spirit of the Lord was going to come upon her, and she was going to be expecting, scripture says that the angel said to her, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. How many... Remember Popeye. How many remember Popeye? Now, Popeye, Bluto, or is it Brutus? Brutus. Brutus would beat him to a pulp. And when he was down and out, and it looked like there was absolutely no hope, somehow a can of spinach would come out. 
And if he could just get into that can of spinach and suck it in through that pipe, then suddenly his muscles would come strong. And you knew that he was going to be victorious. We don't need spinach. Not for the spiritual battles. We don't need spinach. We're not commanded to eat spinach. Now, you might be commanded by your parents, but we're not commanded to eat it. We're not trusting in spinach. We're trusting in the living God. Big difference between the two. It is not if I can just hold on. He's holding on to me. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, present you faultless in the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Our God takes care of us. He's got the end taken care of already for us. The Bible says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. When you start trusting yourself in these battles, you are headed for a defeat. But you trust in the Lord and in the power of his might and in the dominion of his strength. It says his might. The ideal is to circle yourself with his strength. The dominion of his strength is being subject to his word. Again, it gets back to the word of God. And you're not going to be strong. I don't care how many muscles you got. You're not going to be strong in the Lord if you're not leaning on his strength. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, what did he do? You remember what he did? He was tempted. Three temptations by the devil. Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. Three temptations. Each time Jesus answered the devil with what? With scripture, with the word of God. Each time. And you go back and study those. Guess where he got those verses? Anybody know where he got those verses? The book of Deuteronomy. The most hated book in most independent Baptist churches. The book of Deuteronomy is the book that Jesus used to beat the devil when he was under the devil's temptation. Boy, there are a lot of Christians. They don't want anything to do with that. Man, I'm, I'm saved by grace. I'm not under the law. I'm, I'm saved by grace. I don't need that book. You do too need that book. You need it all. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Yes, even the book of Deuteronomy is part of us, profitable for us to be strong, to have what we need in every part of the battle that we face. Here the devil was right there. Let, let me remind you of this. If the devil was not afraid to tempt the Son of God, Jesus Christ, He's not going to be afraid to tempt you. And he's been at it for so long, he knows a whole lot more about it than you do. Do you understand? Thank God greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. But it gets back to what are you going to do with God's word? There are a whole lot of people today that are now practicing. I mean people who claim salvation and I don't have any doubt have, have it. But a whole lot of people doing things today that at one time they said they would never do. But they wouldn't lean on God's word and obey God's word. People made fun of them if they stood by God's word. Oh, you're just following the preacher. Well, if the preacher told you, told you to follow God's word, then that's who you follow. Because God's word is always right. 
You need, if, when you get that settled, it makes so many things so easy. I had a young lady that had gone off to Bible college. She called me up on the phone. And she said, Pastor, I, I've got a couple choices I need to make. Uh, what should I do? She said, I've talked to some of my Christian friends. And my Christian friends, I said, well, first of all, forget the Christian friends. Because I know you don't always get good counsel from Christian friends. Because Christian friends, unfortunately, most of the time are more concerned about your feelings than they are doing what's right. I said, what did God call you to do? She told me. I said, did you surrender to do that? Yes, I surrendered to do that. Then you really don't have a hard choice at all. You don't have three or four different things to choose from. You only got two, obeying God or not obeying God. That's your choice. Now, are you going to obey God or not? But it's so hard. No, just obey God. Just do what you're supposed to do. But preacher, sometimes it's really hard. Only because you've given yourself two choices. The right choice. You know the right choice. The right choice is obey God. You know that. Just do it. Weren't you committed to that? You know, there are a lot of people that have surrendered to preach, surrendered to the mission field, surrendered a whole bunch of other things because they knew it was right. They knew it was the will of God. And now they're not doing what they know God called them to do because they start considering choices. You show me a couple that they get into their marriage and they promise till death do us part. And whenever they get upset with one another, somebody says the word divorce. If that word's even part of the conversation, it won't be long. You're going to be shipwrecked. My wife and I never even used the word when we were lost. I don't know where we got the understanding of it. But we believed before we got married that it was, in, it was until death do us part. So we've never even brought up the word. Did we have disagreement? Sure we did. I mean, hey, we had two and a half years of being lost and being married. But once you put that word in the equation, you've now messed everything up. You ought to wash your mouth out with soap. You ought to apologize. If you brought that word up at all, you ought to apologize to your mate for ever even saying the word. You give yourself an out to do the will of God, the devil will put you in a place where suddenly now it's hard. Now just obey God. Just do what he said and what you told him that you would do. So he says, first of all, be strong. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then he says in verse 11, put on. And he says, put on the whole armor of God. Now, this is a little different than what he says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, when he tells us to put off the old man and put on the new man. In Ephesians earlier, he talks about putting off the old man and putting on the new man, which is created in righteousness and true holiness. You see, when you get saved, since the old man's been crucified with Christ, Put it off with all of its lust. How do you do that? Set your affections on things above. You mortify your members, therefore, and so on. And then you put on the new man. When we got saved, we found, Bible said, there are certain things that we did we shouldn't do. That was part of the old man. So we put those things off. 
And then we put on the things we're supposed to do as new men. You say, but I'm saved by grace. I know because you're saved by grace. You're to put off the old man, put on the new man. Not in order to stay saved, but because you are saved. You are to do that. This, in this passage, is not that. Now, to face the challenges that are out there, the wiles of the devil to deceive you, the battle to defeat you, and the evil day to defile you. You need to put on, notice how he words it, the whole armor of God. It's not a thing where you say, well, I'm going to put on the helmet and that's it. Well, you're going to be a casualty. He provides for us the whole armor of God for a reason. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, though we walk after the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. We don't need just part of it. We need all of it. A while back, I noticed that uh, I think MeTV or one of those was showing Adam 12. How many remember Adam 12? About those L.A. cops that ride around. You know, if you look at that, really, they were totally unprotected. They, they didn't have, uh, except for their gun and a nightstick, they didn't have any of the stuff that modern police do today. Modern police today, man, they're wearing Kevlar vests. They've got big belts with all kinds of, I mean, they look like Batman out there with all the stuff they got on their belts. That, and, and listen, it may be heavy. It may not be comfortable. It may be difficult to ride in the cars and all of that. But they would hate to go out on the streets driving through Huntsville, Alabama at night dressed like those cops in Adam 12, like they did in L.A. back in the 1970s. We look at our soldiers today, and our soldiers often, they go off like, to, uh, like they did to uh, fight in, where did they fight at, Iraq and uh, Kuwait and those areas. Man, they're carrying 150 pounds of stuff on them. They are loaded down, but they need all of it. They need the whole thing. It's absolutely vital. Put on the whole armor of God. And whereas the other verses told us we're to put some things off, some things about things that we do, and we're to put some other things on, but for the battle that we face, we need to put on the whole armor of God. So don't slough off the, this command. Don't think this isn't that important. The battle's coming. You want to serve the Lord at all? You want to do anything for God at all? You want to live for him, whether it be working uh, work the bus ministry, working junior church, singing the choir, whatever. You need the armor because the devil's not happy when you're serving God. And he's sneaky. God's got everything that you need, but he's not going to put it on you. You got to put it on you. What about that? We want God just to cover us all up. God says, you put it on. This is your responsibility. He's warned us the battle's real. Wiles of the devil, they're real. The battle's real. The evil day is real. You need the whole armor of God. So you better see to it about putting it on. 
By the way, just talking about that matter with the armor reminds me of the story of a couple of, uh, couple of guys that had gone out west, and they wanted to learn about cowboys. I mean, it's one, thing, it's one thing to see what TV has done with the cowboys, but they wanted to learn about cowboys. So they stopped at a working ranch. They saw a guy that looked like a cowboy, and they went up to him, and they said, uh, I, I see all the outfits, all the stuff you guys have got. Is that stuff really important? He says, oh, it's vital. We got to have it. He says, well, well tell me why you, why you have what you have. And he says, well, first of all, I got this big hat with this big brim because when we're out there tending to the cows uh, that are out there and the steers, uh, listen, that sun beats down on us and we're out there for 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day. We've got to have, we've got to have that nice hat with that big brim on it. He said, not only that, this vest that I wear, you, we've got to have this leather vest because we go back there, we're going through the briars and the brambles and all that stuff, it'd tear our shirts to pieces. We need that leather around us like that to help us. He said, even this big belt buckle that I wear, he says, you got to understand, we're riding out there in the saddle and we're having to go into the briars and brambles stuff. We're cutting, moving, the horse is moving side to side and with that horn on that saddle, Man, it'd tear my insides out if I didn't have this big belt buckle that was on there. And he said, these chaps, these chaps are vital. Because as we're going through the briars and the brambles to get those, get those calves and get those steers out of there, he said, man, they, they would chew our, our legs off. We'd have to get a new pair of pants every day. We've got to have those. And he said, and last of all, he says, I wear these flip-flops so people won't think I'm a trucker. Come on, now get it and let me move on. I'm just saying every, every part of the armor of God is vitally important. You need it. When Peter went to jail in Acts chapter 12, the church did not march in the streets. James had been put to death, and when Peter went to jail was put in the jail and they were going to kill him the next day. They didn't start a letter writing campaign. When Peter's put in jail and it looks like he's going to be put to death, they didn't get a telephone campaign going to call all the elected officials to try to get them to, to intercede before the king, before King Herod to try to get him out. What they did was they went to the king of kings in prayer. And before the king of kings in prayer... God got Peter out of the prison. Do you understand this? Herod was not the enemy. The enemy is far higher than what Herod was. See, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. And listen, he is a deceiver. He's trying to get America to believe that it's not a devil out there. Those are just simply the souls of the departed that are looking to get set free so they can finally go on to uh, out into heaven, wherever it is that they're going to go. Because many of them died horrible deaths. And so they try to do, I don't know what they call it, it's EVP or something like that. They try to do interviews with these spirits. Hey, those people that died before, they're not there. They're either in heaven or they're in hell they're not there. I'll guarantee you anybody in hell today would love to be floating around in the old home they used to live in. But they're not. 
You say, what's going on? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. The devil and his demons. That's what that is. What nonsense that people are believing. So they, well, I don't want to get into all that. Then there's the woman at the well. Everything she stood for was against Jesus. She was immoral in her lifestyle, all of that. But she was not the enemy. She needed God. And Jesus saw her need. Jesus met her real need. And brought her to himself. And then he says, take unto you. Verse 13, the whole armor of God. Get it all. Don't think you can do without any of it. You need it to withstand and to stand. You need it, every bit of it. Now we're going to be going through every piece Individually, we'll discuss them in detail in the weeks ahead. To withstand temptations, to withstand deception, to withstand evil, and to withstand the fiery darts of the wicked one, to stand for right and to stand right, to stand for God. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. That's not an exact quote, I paraphrase it, I'm sorry. The battle does not stop while you're standing. But it rages around you, and you need everything. You need the Word of God. Well, you need faith. I mean, that's faith is how you quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The Word of God. By the way, you need the church. He says, exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He says, take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. In any of you, he's talking to believers. If you think you can make it in the battle without all the armor of God, every piece, that's where you will fall. You can count on it. When he says your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, do not spread, spread the gospels to leave you without the mind of Christ. And then he says, he says again, verse 13 at the end of the verse, he says, and having done all, to stand. Make up your mind, you're going to stand. To stand, you have to have some things settled. You get that? You've just got to have it settled. Now, I consider whether it's meant to be a compliment or not, when people come back after being here, after being gone for a number of years, and they say, wow, that's just like I remember it. I mean, you're still preaching the same thing. You ought to talk to our missionaries, by the way. They come home every four years, and they are always shocked at some of the churches that have changed, that when they saw them last time, those churches were as solid as could be. And now they're using different Bibles, they have no dress standards anymore because there's a lot of guys out there. Oh, they went to Bible college, but they're not. They were never prepared to stand. And unfortunately, too many people, I, I've talked to pastors who that after they left the church, after they were gone someplace else and a new guy comes in and he tries to take them down a new path, it always shocks them. Some of the people who went down a new path that they thought would always be fundamentalist. 
People are so easily led astray. You've got to have some things settled in your life. I know what I believe. And I listen, I can tell you why I believe what I believe from Scripture. The problem is once you start denying what you said you once believed, then why should people believe that you believe anything you say you believe now? I've had young men from Madison Baptist Church say God called them to preach. And then they stand in my office one day. Well, I I just don't think that 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 means that like that. And I said, listen, all right. You start justifying what you knew was wrong at one time and it won't be long. You won't be a year from now. You won't be where you're at right now. You'll be farther down the road. You can count on it. Once you cut the anchor, the stream just drifts you on down. It never drifts you up. It always drifts you down. So find out what the book says and decide that you're going to stand on it. I'm not looking for something new. You know, when the Calvinism of John Piper came along and, and Billy Graham's grandson, Tertullian Chavidian, kind of took it to its ultimate state. It's amazing. You could look on the, uh, you could look on the internet for... Tertullian or Chavidian heresies. And every article that was written about Chavidian heresies concerning Calvinism, because it really did away with the holiness of God. But every article that I saw was written by old line Calvinists who still believed in the holiness of God. And that's what they were complaining about. But what they didn't understand was that their Calvinism, Chavidian and Piper and those guys, They simply took the old Calvinism and took it the next step. Because if God is sovereign and he already decides everything and nothing can happen that God hasn't already decided, it makes whatever you do God's fault. It's not your fault, it's God's fault. Because God's already decided what you're going to do. No wonder neither one of them are in their churches today. See, once you, start, once you start swallowing a heresy like that, take it to the next step. See, where, see what the next step is for that. You start explaining a way that God holds us personally responsible for what we do. He held Israel personally responsible for what they did. He gives us a free choice. Well, I'm going to make the choice to just serve the Lord. People may not like it that we don't grab the latest theological fads or the, greatest, the, the latest church growth methods. And I'm not, I want the church to grow, man. I'd, lo- I'd love to run 10,000. I think that'd be, that'd be neat. But there's just things we're not going to sacrifice to run 10,000. You understand? It, it's not worth it. I want to stay right with God. And I want the church I pastor to stay right with God as long as I'm pastor. And when I leave... That'll be up to the next guy in the church is what they do. Not me. You know, the Bible says when Rehoboam became king, that he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the next statement says, and all Israel with him. All Israel? Didn't they know better? Yes, they did. But it's amazing how quick people are to follow wrong. Paul says, follow me even as I also follow Christ. You see, 
The wiles of the devil to deceive us, the battle to defeat us, the evil day to defile us. So in the meanwhile, we are to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We're to put on the whole armor of God. We're to take all of his armor to us and to stand and just keep standing. Now, we need to make up our minds. Young people, you've got to make up your minds. It's, just, it's amazing to me, people who are free, who know better. People who are free to make the choice. Mom and dad don't have authority over them anymore. That for some reason, they so easily choose the wrong that their mom and dad said don't do. Did you ever think mom and dad had a reason for that? Did your mom and dad try to follow Christ? Their desire for you was that you follow Christ? So follow him. That's right. The path has not changed. It's still the same. Don't get off the path. Have it settled in God's word. Because the truth is, if you don't get the thing settled with God's word, you've got no armor to put on. You're already defeated. And you're the one that's going to have to live through the consequences. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Dear God, help us to be grounded in these things. May we not be blown about by every wind of doctrine. May we get some things settled in our life. I look at the thousands of souls that have been saved, not just here, but through our missionaries that have gone around the world, the families that have been changed, the lives that have been changed for the glory of God. And it still amazes me that some people brought up in good homes think that somehow there's something better out there than that. Wow, they have lost every ability to think. God, help us to take a firm stand, to not compromise, to stay with your word, and to train up our families to stay with your word. Lord, we'll thank you as you work in our lives and hearts. In Jesus' name I ask it.